Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be sharing this morning. If you would, turn with me to Galatians 5. We'll start there this morning. So Galatians 5, verses 16 on says, but I, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, the, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we go back uh, in the archives of our Father's house, uh, July 5th, 2020, you can look on Facebook and watch the, ser- the, the, the service that morning. Um, it was a pretty marking service. Um, Nick Wilson, if you guys don't know him, he's actually in Northern Ireland right now. That was his first Sunday here. Um, he came from California spent, uh, to spend a week here. Uh, he, the Lord radically got a hold of him, and he never left, right? So that was July 5th of 2020. Um, Jill and I were currently leading the marriage group. Um, At that point, it was a much smaller group of people that we had at our father's house. Uh, We were the longest tenured married couple at that time, which is kind of funny to think about. Um, For our lives, uh, despite the COVID lockdowns, um, we were really enjoying family time. We were enjoying close friends. Um, business was booming for me. We were, um, we had just started meeting with some other couples at the church um, to talk about becoming deacons and what leadership on the church meant, um, the responsibility that that, uh, that required of us. And that morning, um, July 5th, 2020, after uh, the, the baskets were passed, um, Paul got up and he said this. He said, I have the weighty presence, the fear of the Lord on me. What I'm about to say, I don't say lightly. During the worship, a couple of minutes in, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said, there is someone here who is living a double life. Part of your life is in secrecy and hiddenness. I believe the Lord is giving you one week from today before judgment touches your life and he begins to discipline you severely for your secrecy and for your double life. So if you're here today, 
I urge you to repent and fall on the mercy of the Lord and bring the darkness of your life into the healing light of Jesus so he can restore and heal you. I knew this was in line with scripture. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that he may be healed, that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. And I had taken up the offering that morning and I was counting it in the back and I had to keep my knees from shaking because that was me. The truth was I had lived in secret sin for years and years and years. We, we sang about the fear of the Lord this morning and we sang about how we want the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord. Well, let me tell you, the fear of the Lord was upon me that morning. And it wasn't uh, a fear of man, a fear of uh, like a, an anxiety, but it was a no, this is a holy moment and I, this is my time. I had been living a secret life of pornography and masturbation. No one knew about it. We were missionaries in Nicaragua and Guatemala, and I had ample people that wanted to be an accountability partner, that wanted to meet and talk about things, and I always pushed it aside. I said, no, I'm good, I'm fine. I made excuse for my sin. I didn't want to hurt Jill, so I wouldn't tell her. And all the while, I continually prayed, Lord, give me freedom in this. And yet I knew, James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I knew that. It was deep inside of me. I was prideful. In many ways, I didn't want to change. I have a heart of service, and I love serving people and helping and so I, I, I said, I kind of used that as my, my beckoning tool to say, Lord, but I serve you in every other way. Just, just leave that room closed in my life. I knew I was in trouble, but I was praying, Lord, would you just be merciful upon me? That morning, God in his mercy gave me another chance. The shame that I had been living in that drove me right back into that sin, I knew had to go. That afternoon, I prayed, Lord, give me until tomorrow night, and I'll come clean. I will share with Jill. That next 24 to 30 hours, I tried to soak every moment in. Our daughter was one at the time. Jill was pregnant with, with Bennett, our second. And I knew that this could be over. That our time together, this family, this, this loving marriage, we were leading a marriage group. It could be over. And so I tried to enjoy it as best as I could. That next morning, Monday morning, I wrote this in my journal. I said, Lord, I repent before you this morning 
The sin of lust has been a thing of secrecy for too long. Today I bring it into the, into the light, Lord. Father, forgive me of my sin, the desire for other women, finding pleasure in pornography and masturbation, for my pride, thinking I can ask you for forgiveness, yet hide this from Jill and other believers. I repent of my evil ways. I turn to you. Only you can fill that place in my heart. Only you can reprogram my mind not to sin in this way anymore. The week of June 29th, 2020 will be marked as the last time I turned and gave in to that lust. Father, forgive me. Wash me clean. Your ways are better. You are in control of my life. It is yours. I surrender it to you. Give me the words to share with Jill this evening. Prepare her heart, Lord. Be her comfort. I ask for a clear mind for both of us, Father. I pray that she would forgive me. Walk alongside me. Be an encouragement to me. And continue to be my wife. I ask for trust to be rebuilt in our marriage, for laughter, for peace, and for joy. Be with me tonight, Father. Be over our conversation. And that evening, after we put Selah to bed, I had the, I had the hardest conversation of my life. I came clean to my wife. I shared everything. I left no stone unturned. There were a lot of tears. I was broken. She had a lot of questions. I answered everyone that I could. And at the end of that conversation, I told her, I said, I'm prepared, I will pack a bag and I can go somewhere else. And she said, no, I don't want that. And I said, okay, thank you. I said, I'll, I'll, I can sleep on the couch. You can go upstairs to bed. She said, no, I don't want that. And as we were crawling into bed that night, she looked at me and she said, do not stop leading me. And that meant so much to me. Because the truth was, the rest of, the rest of our life was in openness. There wasn't anything else in darkness. There wasn't anything else that had been hidden from us. Like I mentioned, we were starting the process of leadership with church. And so we couldn't just not show up at the next leadership meeting. It would have been really nice. And so now I had to share with people that are sitting in this room not just my wife, but with other men and women, and I didn't know how they were going to respond. And I'm thankful to say, those of you women that are in this room that were in that meeting, thank you for your response to me. You continue to love me. I went to bed that, that first night uh, with a ton of bricks off of my shoulder. I, was, I felt free. 
For the first time in years, I felt like I was walking in freedom. And yet, it would have been easy to want to run away from our father's house, to run away from the people that we had developed relationships with. It would have been easier to start afresh and start new. I knew that's, that wasn't the answer. I knew that wasn't what we were supposed to do. And so I want to touch briefly on what was the experience like for Jill. The bricks and the weight that was off of my shoulders were placed squarely on hers. She questioned everything about me, and rightfully so. Trust was broken. It was shattered. She felt betrayed, angry, confused. She felt alone and crushed. At the same time, she gained some clarity. The truth was our intimacy was not good. She thought it was her. It wasn't, it was me, it was my addiction. She wanted restoration, but she weighed the cost of restoration versus the cost of divorce. And I don't say that word lightly because it is not a light word to throw around. She never actually said the word divorce, but she did say, if you don't stop, we're done. And the fear of the Lord was already inside of me. That just amped it up, right? She continued to put herself in a situation with me when she didn't trust me fully. She, did, she allowed the hard work and the time for counseling. She was patient with my healing. Knowing that there was emotional and relational work to be done, she had a part to play, but the main actor in this role was me. It wasn't her. I had to prove myself to her. Not being on leadership was really hard for her because she had done nothing to deserve not being on leadership. It was me and my sin. She was closest with the women. The closest women in church were those on leadership, and our relationships changed. We weren't around them as much, not because they didn't love us, but just because we weren't in those meetings. She was skeptical of me and had to choose to trust me when there wasn't evidence of more dishonesty. I'm very grateful that there was not. Jill had a very clear confidence that this was not her fault. It had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with me and my choices. The truth was she had done nothing wrong and there was nothing she could have done differently. At times she questioned what she could have done to find out sooner. And she had to continually come back to the part of, no, he confessed to me. That was huge. On Sunday, last Sunday, Paul shared um, at the end of service, he said, if you have something to confess, you need to confess it, don't get caught. Confessing to Jill 
was, the, was starting a new foundation of trust, even as little as it was. The healing process would have taken so much longer if it would have happened at all, if I would have gotten caught. Jill supported me. She gave me space to process. She sacrificed time so that we could work through counseling and rebuild our marriage. So what is it, I want to talk a little bit about what does it take to rebuild trust? Because trust is a very uh, ambiguous thing, okay? You have to take care of, tr of, of trust with people, right? Trust is easily broken, and to rebuild it takes a lot of energy. It was my responsibility to rebuild trust. I had to do what I said I would do every single time, on time, or earlier. And that might sound trivial, but if I said I was going to wash the dishes, I washed the dishes on time. If I said I was going to take out the trash, I did it on time. If I said I was going to do X, Y, and Z, I did it. I had to live in the light. When I was tempted, I had to share it with her. When I was walking in freedom, I had to live in the light and share that with her. It wasn't fair of her to have to be questioning in her mind, hey, how was Austin today? No, I had to be forthcoming and share what was going on each and every day. I had to share what was on my heart, what I was processing and going through. I was always on. I didn't take 10 minutes off to veg out on my phone. I didn't, I didn't have that ability. There was no free time. I would work in the office and work hard and come home and work even harder. I was constantly present. I gave her the freedom to ask any question at any time. As you could imagine, that could get inconvenient. Trying to go to bed at night, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I'm ready for bed, I'm exhausted, and her mind's running. And so she would have a question, and I knew if I shut this down, I'm shutting down rebuilding trust. My response to her was one of humility and repentance. Never stop asking me this. You just asked me that. I'm good. No, it was never that. I had to be patient with her as she processed through the hurt that I had created in her. I also gave her permission to share with anyone that she felt would be a support to her. That's hard. And you might be thinking, Austin, why are you sharing this on a Sunday morning? I've never heard this preached on a Sunday morning. But the truth is, there's an issue that I don't feel like we're addressing in this world, and that's pornography and masturbation and unwanted sexual sin. I know that my story resonates with you in one way or another. 
There's an organization, a Christian organization, it's called triplexchurch.com, and they have a lot of resources out there of, of helping people walk in freedom and get free. I'd encourage you to, turn, to, to check it out. There's a lot of statistics here, and I want to share some of them this morning. of Christian men view pornography each week. 34% of young women report using pornography with some regularity. 78% of the world masturbates. Ninety percent of eight-year-olds to 16-year-olds have viewed pornography online, mostly while doing homework. 20% of females in high school reported being physically or sexually abused by a dating partner in high school. Pornography purchases are down 75% on Sundays. Since the internet age, some, research, some researchers, researchers say the average age of first exposure is eight years old. Prior to the internet age, it was ages 11 and 12. And now it's eight years old. We have a lot of kids in these classrooms. Praise the Lord. But parents, if you think for a moment that you can protect them from this, that you can keep this from them, and that they're never going to be exposed to it, you're living in a bubble with your head in the sand. In the back, or in the lobby, um, when you guys go to leave today, there are uh, some sheets of paper that you're welcome to grab. There's a lot of there's resources on there, okay? Resources of uh, filtering programs for your phones, for your tablets, for your computers, okay? Monitoring devices for your kids. Um, I personally use Covenant Eyes, okay? There's books on uh, how to walk in freedom yourself. If you're the spouse of someone who has hurt you, there are books on that. There's books on same-sex attraction. There's books for children and how to talk with children, okay? The three books that Jill and I have are out there. Feel free to flip through those. Don't share them with your kids until you've read them, please, okay? What is happening in private in our lives is ruining us. It is ruining us. If you're here today and you're stuck in, in sin and shame, the cycle of acting out and the shame, and then the shame drives you right back to acting out, what do you do? You repent to the Lord. You repent to your spouse. You submit to accountability and to an accountability partner. That accountability partner is not someone that's struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. 
That doesn't work. They have to be in front of you multiple steps. And I just want to say accountability is not, uh, accountability is where you tell on yourself. It is not, hey, I screwed up two days ago, but I'm doing well now. Accountability is, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you help me? It is a call. It is a text message of I need help right now. Okay? It's going to require taking a deep dive into what led you to, the, to pornography in the first place. I agree with Pops. Okay? What your past does not define you and you can't stay there, but oftentimes it does help you to realize why, am, why are my tendencies in this way. It is not an excuse. I just want to make, make clear of that. You have to figure out what's the issue behind the issue. This will most likely need to be done with a counselor or a trusted mentor. I went to counseling for months and months and months, and it was so helpful to me. Behavior modification doesn't work. Your heart has to change. I'd encourage you to read the book Unwanted by Jay Stringer. We must take our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Romans 12 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why? Why do we need to think about those things? Because if we don't, our mind is going in the trash. Science has discovered that, not from reading the Bible, but science has discovered that your mind has electrical pathways in it. Okay? And so if you think about a wheat field and you walk across a wheat field from one side to the other and you turn around and you look, you're not going to see exactly where you stepped. You're not going to see that path. It's going to be pretty hard to tell. But if you consistently walk back and forth and back and forth, there's going to be a beaten down path of wheat and then a hard packed pack, uh, path of dirt. That's going to be the easiest path to walk. If you've been in this for years like I was, getting off of that path is hard. You have to create a new path. It's not easy. I had to renew my mind daily. I still have to renew my mind daily. We all need to renew our minds daily. I had to go back to that path and till it up and throw down more wheat seed. I don't know if it's wheat seed. <laughs> I'm looking at Jacob. He's a farmer back here. 
Um, and, and the wheat had to grow back over time. Okay? Addiction is hard to get rid of. Pornography is so easily accessible like it wasn't in the past. I want to read a quote, the quote that Ben read last week from Francis Frangipan. He said, Indeed, the territory of the uncrucified thought life is the beachhead of satanic assault in our lives. To defeat the devil, we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Wherever a stronghold exists, it is a demonically induced pattern of thinking. Specifically, it is a house made of thoughts, which has become a dwelling place for satanic activity. Let us realize, therefore, that the energies we expend in keeping our sins secret are actual materials of which a stronghold is made. The demon you are fighting is actually using your thoughts to protect his access to your life. It is important to recognize that when we speak of strongholds, we're not talking about random thoughts or occasional sins. Rather, the strongholds that affect us most are those that are so hidden in our thinking patterns that we do not recognize them nor identify them as evil. Why do we need to be renewed in our minds? Because we, we don't even get it in ourselves. Jerica, if you want to come and play. So church, what's our response to this? Some of you are probably sitting here and thinking, man, this is, this is repulsive stuff, and it is. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For those of you who aren't struggling, you're to be a safe place for those who are. When someone opens up to you, you're not to shame them. You're to love on them and care for them, to help them get the help that they need. You also have to have the mind of Christ that keeps restoration and not condemnation in mind we have to remember that we are not the ones to convict that's that's the Holy Spirit if you want to be a support read the book Unwanted by Jay Stringer educate yourself and help others walk in freedom men This Saturday, before the volunteer celebration, I'm going to have a gathering in my house at 6.30 in the morning. We're starting at 6.30 sharp. It's an accountability group. 
to walk in freedom, to walk in the light, to be encouraged, to encourage others. And as Marshall would say, stomp on the head of the devil. If this is a struggle for you, you need to be there. If, there, if you're tempted in this way, you need to be there. It is not a place of condemnation. It is a place to walk in freedom. In a moment, we're gonna open these altars and if you're battling shame and temptation, unwanted sexual sin, this altar is open for you. And I realize I put myself back to July 4th of 2020. And without the fear of the Lord, I don't think I'd have been up here. If the fear of the Lord is upon you today, today's your day. If you want to commit to a life of freedom and helping others, I encourage you that this altar is for you as well. Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Like I shared a couple of weeks ago, I walk in a freedom that I never thought was possible. The shame that was on my life is not there anymore. I can stand in front of however many people are here today with no shame because Christ has set me free. The Bible says that Jesus bore our shame on the cross so that we don't have to. If you need freedom today, if you want to walk in freedom, if you want to be someone who stands in the gap for people, I want to encourage you, come right now. Come.